Well, with the good weather we've been having here in the UK, the clocks springing forward in the Northern Hemisphere and the streets of London buzzing again as people return to work is perfect podcast listening conditions. Hello, Matthew Grant here. And if this is your first time joining us, well, we've got a great treat coming up for you in a minute. For this week, we're taking a step back from our discussions with the founders, builders and buyers of technology and getting the perspective from an organization that is doing research across many different industries. They're looking at the vital statistics for startups, scale-ups and established technology companies. And we are delighted to be partnering with PitchBook to share some of their data with you in our reports. And in return, we're keeping them updated on what we're seeing. Now, in addition to the company-specific data, PitchBook is also providing insights on industry themes. And in a moment, I'm going to be talking to Robert Lay to learn a bit more about PitchBook, and he'll be sharing his view on what trends he's seeing and some of the companies he has been following. First of all, though, a date for your diary if you are in London in late April, the 27th of April, to be precise. We are holding our InsureTech All Sorts event in person at Codenode in London. Doors open at 5.30pm. Now, this is back to our roots with a chance to hear from some of the new company we've discovered in the last few months. And as usual, we'll be splitting the time between chatting on stage and lots of chance to catch up with your potential clients partners, investors, new staff, or just friends. Details, as usual, on the website www.instec.london. Members go free, everyone else pay in advance. Now, let's hear from Robert. Robert, bit of a change for today on who we're normally talking to, but I've been really intrigued by what PitchBook has been doing. Really impressive content in there as well. It's very hard, as we know ourselves, to capture all this information about companies out there. The company was founded in 2007. I know you're looking at information for thousands of global businesses with data on private and public markets to help profile these companies. I counted over a 1,000 employees on LinkedIn. I know you've got a really deep analyst team helping you on this. And the research you provide, you, you call it deep and timely. And I think one of the things that we can talk a bit about, but for me is really critical in this, is the speed of which you're able to keep update on this very fast-moving market. Uh, you were acquired by U.S. publisher Morningstar in, in 2016. And, Robert, I know you are the fintech analyst at PitchBook, and you've also got a particular focus on insurance. So welcome, and thanks for joining us from New York. Yeah, thanks, Matthew, for having me here today. So we're going to be talking a bit more about InsureTech, but can you add just a bit of color to what a typical user would get out of PitchBook or, or how they would use information you're providing? I'm part of the emerging tech um, team, which um, provides research and analysis to help investors better evaluate those opportunities. So they can go online, not only look at the data, look at company profiles and see, hey, how much fundraising these companies have obtained or how much um, capital is going into a specific space like InsurTech, but they can also read the research that we publish that adds more insights and um, analysis into the specific different areas of um, insurance and InsurTech. So, as I kind of alluded to earlier, you know, one of the challenges in this area is to get information. So many companies out there. How, how do you how do you source that information? And, and what's the balance between what you might do as desktop research versus actually talking directly to, to the companies? Yeah, it's a combination of both. Uh, you know, we have different technologies and um, algorithms that source, collect, and gather data, along with processes like we do data extraction, um, categoriz- categorization, and quality assurance to ensure that the data is accurate. And um, part of um, the data operations team is that they also communicate directly with companies, investors, um, LPs, lenders, and other service providers in the space to 
um, really ensure accuracy, but also gather other hard to find information that you wouldn't like be able to find on the internet or any news source. Good. And, and just because we like to unpick all the acronyms here. So LP is a limited partner. Mm-hmm. So the people that are actually investing in the venture capital funds out there, obviously is a important space for you. And then just a bit more on that content one. You know, one of the challenges we know a lot of insurers have is that they go to the website for a technology company. It can be difficult sometimes to d- differentiate between, you know, what is reality and what is aspiration and then what is real client and what is a POC. I mean, how do you validate that beyond what you're coming across on the uh, either on the desktop research or even if you talk to the companies themselves to make sure there's a reality behind what people are saying? Yeah, most of the time it's talking directly to the companies themselves and you just ask them. Um, the great thing about where we sit on the emerging tech team is, you know, we provide objective research. We're not taking one side or the other. And so um, because of that, we find that companies are very often uh, willing to speak with us. And then for you personally, I'd be interested to know just when did you come across insurance for, you, for your own background? And then yeah, second question on that is, uh, I guess sometimes InsurTech is thought of as a subset of, of FinTech, but I'd be kind of interesting if you can to sort of compare and contrast InsurTech insurance uh, and FinTech. But first of all, just how, yeah, how did you come across insurance? I started on the team as a FinTech analyst, but um, I quickly discovered that InsurTech is fundamentally very different from FinTech, right? So um, in terms of innovation, the insurance industry is still pretty far behind from the rest of the financial services sector. And we think that is where the room for growth and room for innovation exists right now in the, in the industry. InsurTech is a, it's a big topic. It's even debatable about what it means these days. Everyone's got a slightly different view on how they categorize it. So from a pitch book perspective, how, how do you split up the different types of companies, whether by offering or a line of business or whatever else you find is useful to differentiate them? Our view of the vertical really consists of um, two broad categories for InsurTech. So there are those that are selling uh, insurance and uh, competing directly with the traditional carriers. So you can think the Lemonades and Root, Hippo, Oscar. Um, and then there are those that are selling technology and software to the carriers. So the enablers, if you will, who are um, really providing new ways um, to do things across the entire insurance value chain. So um, you can think of distribution, underwriting, pricing, claims, policy administration, and billing and payments. Uh, these enablers are selling technology across all those different areas. And um, you know, what we're seeing is that investors have been very bullish in this space over the past few years. Uh, for instance, from our data, last year there was over $14 billion of venture capital invested into insure tech companies globally. And, you know, to put that into perspective, that amount is more than the previous two years combined. And, you know, before this pod, uh, Matthew, I kind of pulled the data just to see what it looks like so far in 2022. And we've seen in January and February, there was already two and a half billion dollars invested into insure tech companies. So um, we thought that the pace was going to slow down a little bit. But um, so far, it's, it's been a pretty healthy pace for the, at the start of the year. Yeah, I want to come back on that because you know, one of the themes everyone's wondering about just now is what's the implications of the, the slowdown or the, you know, some of the challenges the companies are having that went through IPO and through SPACs uh, on the public markets. But before I get into that, I guess another question around PitchBook and what you're looking at. I agree entirely with the way you've categorized those two companies. There's a third category we're seeing, which is not quite as forward-looking as enablers in the way you described it, but companies that are 
creating efficiencies within existing places. And you know, one of the top themes that's come out in the research we've done is around tools to help extract and ingest data. At, at PitchBook, what's the criteria you'd have for including companies in your database with regards to either age, uh, how long the country company's been going for, or some other criteria? There really isn't a criteria. Um, we, we focus on, um, within InsurSec anyways, we focus on both private and public markets. Uh, so private and public companies. On the analyst team, and what I do in my research is I do focus mostly on venture-backed uh, InsurSec companies, so companies that have raised any kind of fundraising, not necessarily even venture-backed, could be angel-backed as well, right? Okay, so companies like Verisk or Guidewire, mm-hmm. publicly traded companies, do you track those on, on PitchBook or are they out of scope based on what you just said? Yes, no, absolutely. Those are tracked on uh, PitchBook too. Um, and I pay attention to what they're doing. I've actually spoken to many of them as well. But our focus is mostly geared towards uh, venture capital investors. Hello, I'm Tara, one of the research analysts at Instech. You've heard Matthew and Robert discussing technology for claims assessment, and we'll be releasing our next report on the 14th of April on one of the fastest growing areas in claims technology, remote claims assessment. We cover the main themes and the 40 companies active in this area. This report will be free to our members, or you can register your interest on the website at www.instech.london in the report section before release for a significant discount on the purchase price. Now, back to Matthew and Robert. And so coming back to that point about, you know, some of the companies are looking at in this space, when we were talking before, we had this interesting discussion about disruption and, and uh, pleased to hear at some level that you still feel there are companies out there shaking up insurance. I mean, back to your earlier point about fintech, it's definitely not, definitely not there yet. Plenty of opportunities to change things. Yeah, I think many people might feel that disruption didn't really work in insurance. Uh, and there's lots of good reasons around collaboration. But can you give some examples of where you are seeing, you know, what might be called positive disruption companies coming in and, and actually for the benefit of the consumers and the investors are, are opening up either new lines of business or new ways of enabling new technology? Yeah, there's many areas. I think on the disruptor side, the ones that are selling insurance directly to end users, um, there's really two areas that we think is real interesting. The first is uh, cyber. We are at a time where there's been a massive increase in cyber attacks, right, like hacks and ransomwares. Um, last year, we had a few uh, notable ones, including the cyber attack on uh, the Colonial Pipeline in the U.S., where they had to pay over $4 million in ransom via Bitcoin, um, the JBS attack was another one where they paid over $11 million. So um, as you can imagine, the need uh, for cyber insurance is becoming critical for businesses, not only for um, coverage from potential paying out ransoms, but also for the massive costs to business disruptions. What we're seeing is that historically, commercial insurance policies have, you know, some kind of coverage for cyber attacks, but typically there are significant gaps in coverage. Um, even today, the cyber insurance policies that are being sold by um, these traditional carriers have specific types of gaps. Like um, you have to, the, sh- the system, like let's say attack happens, an outage has to be, has occurred for more than let's say one hour or two hours before the policy really kicks in. So that may not seem a lot for many businesses, but it is a lot, right? Um, that amount of time can lead to substantial losses, including, you know, reputational loss, which, you know, lasts as much longer than um, after the systems are back online. So um, because of this, it's not shocking that we expect cyber insurance to be the fastest growing uh, line of insurance over the next few years. What I believe is that some of the insurance tech companies selling cyber insurance could benefit from this trend. 
Um, there are two companies that I think is doing something interesting in this space, Coalition and Corvus, which uh, both provide cyber insurance, similar to traditional carriers, but they focus on active risk mitigation by uh, providing 24-7 cybersecurity and uh, monitoring services. What I think is that these companies have an advantage over traditional carriers. As you may know, many of the carriers have dropped their uh, cyber insurance lines um, in recent years to or some even just complete, uh, completely abandoned launching these products because the loss ratios have been unbelievably high. Many carriers are seeing loss ratios of over 150% in cyber. And it's for these, um, and it's for various reasons. One is underwriting. Um, these carriers don't have years or decades of data to rely on. Um, and also, um, preventive. Um, they just don't really understand how to prevent these in the first place. And, and assessing claims. So the lack of experience is really creating challenges for carriers to develop a, a really good cyber insurance product with low loss ratios. And Coalition and Corvus, I believe, can win at both. Um, their underwriting advantage is assessing IT risk ahead of time and using their cyber uh, security expertise, they're able to prevent and reduce cyber risk exposures. And I think over the long term, they're really able to compete and have much lower loss ratios than um, than the industry. Yeah, I think that both of those are, you know, probably what InsurTech started off as meaning, which is technology-enabled MGAs, you know, as you said, coming in to disrupt. And, and it's probably an example of it is possible to do that if there's an area that's new, it's unknown. You, they can compete either on a level playing field with existing insurance companies or even they get an advantage because they, they're not slowed down by legacy and they you know with the investment they can look at the analytics so those are those are more on the mga side what about you know, going back to your point about enablers and on the cyber side are you seeing equally strong opportunities for companies that are focusing only on the analytics so it's you know, actually the sort of counterpoint to what you said companies that are selling back into established insurance companies with analytical capabilities and, and actually don't want to go out and sell the insurance they just want to be the best in terms of Providing the analytics. Yeah, um, I think one area um, in the enabler side are, are claims, right? Um, I think um, selling claims technologies to help insurers find a better way to do claims. Um, there's uh, two startups in the space that I'm pretty excited about. Tractable, uh, one you might be aware of, Matthew, in the UK, they you know leverage deep learning and computer vision to automate insurance claims. Um, they use the technology to assess. Um, property damages by using still photos or videos. Um, and they can gather that via a smartphone, via satellite, via drone. And then, um, they can instantly generate an appraisal based on, um, the still videos and photos, uh, or videos or still photos and videos. And, um, they use this technology that to allow insurance companies to detect hidden damages and false claims to, which is they say is better than a human adjuster. Um, another startup is Sprout AI, which is a fraud detection and claims automation platform, and they sell to PNC and health insurance uh, providers, and they use uh, AI to extract unstructured data. So you can think of uh, in health insurance, maybe uh, un- a handwritten medical report or a prescription, and then they can contextualize that document to validate uh, claims uh, specific to a policy um, you know, the technology also enriches the claim information. So let's say a car accident happened, there's a claim, they can enrich that claim with weather data 
and um, to really understand, you know, what the weather was like that day, road conditions, and to really just enhance fraud detection if there is any. And um, the final output is for insurers is a claim recommendation. So they can say, hey, you know what, we know for sure that this is a good claim. You can automatically settle. Or they can say you should conduct further investigation or say, hey, this is highly likely a fraudulent claim. Let's just reject it altogether. So, you know, I think startups like Tractable and Sprout are using AI in a way that um, tackles the core issues within insurance claims. Uh, too slow, too costly, too much fraud. Um, how do we um, lower all those or speed up things that we that needs to be sped up? We're big fans of what Tractable's doing, and it's interesting to see they've moved into property now, learning what they did from Motor, and and also Sprout AI is pretty intriguing. I mean, for us, we're also always very keen to dig a little bit deeper into the companies that are truly using AI versus those that are maybe just using a glorified Excel spreadsheet and claiming it as AI. Uh, but, but on that sort of topic of AI and maybe going completely the other end of the spectrum, we start talking about animals and pet. Seven years ago, I think people would have been surprised, you know, when the term insurtech was coined, that pet insurance has been so successful. What are you finding from your research you know, on companies that are providing pet insurance? And is, you know, is the sort of general view that we're seeing that, that pet insurance is actually getting more and more popular and profitable borne out by the facts and you sort of dig beneath the surface? Absolutely. Pet insurance is another area that we expect to see um, a lot of growth. And, you know, um, traditional carriers paid very little attention to this line of insurance, but um, then the pandemic happened. Uh, we saw with quarantining and uh, working from home, all of a sudden there was a surge of pet adoptions and uh, people view pets more as family members now, right? And along with um, increasing veterinary care costs, uh, we believe that the demand for pet insurance will, will jump. And I think it'll be one of the fastest growing lines of insurance, including, you know, cyber we just spoke about. And um, we think that insurance tech companies have an advantage here by, you know, leveraging a fully digital um, offering, streamlining enrollment, and the claims process is fully done via a mobile app. Um, you know, when you have like a sick or injured pet, you don't really want to deal with insurance companies. You don't want to deal with paperwork. And, you know, the companies in this space, like many, which is known as bought by many in the UK and Lemonade, they provide really a seamless uh, service, service right from the first touch point. And I think because of that, just the ability to easily buy pet insurance and, and having a simple claims process, it will really attract more customers than, you know, comparing to some of the older, more clunky um, insurance offerings from incumbents. And one of the things that Bought by Many did well from the beginning and Steve Mendel, who runs it, was creating affinity groups on Facebook where they were bringing together owners of certainly dogs and maybe cats, but they were looking at people who had individual breeds of dogs and, and it was a very powerful marketing drive. But in terms, so that was partly what made them successful. But as you talk about insurtechs and most of what you referred to now is around the customer experience, which of course is important, but are you seeing anything that is actually going beyond that and creating, I'm not going to say a better experience for the pet, but using technology, and you mentioned AI before, to actually improve the way the risk is assessed or the claim is processed, or is it more around primarily the customer experience and just a digital process for submitting the claim and getting better? Yeah, we've talked to some some other providers that um looking at ways to even integrate and embed pet insurance in more so and including collecting data for better underwriting. So one way you can see um, there's a lot of uh, pet smart callers out there now, right? And it can track 
many different metrics for, for a pet where its location is, um, its health, temperature and all that. And that can use, that can be used for underwriting too. And the good thing, it's good or bad pets are viewed more as under PNC insurance rather than health insurance. So you could collect those metrics for underwriting where in, in health insurance for, for human beings, you can't, right? Um, so, um, and another thing is pets are lost a lot and a lot of claims are for lost pets. So having able to track a pet on a GPS, you can really help recover that pet and really save on, on having to pay out for a lost pet. So I think integrating into a, like a smart collar would be a really great way to embed pet insurance. And then also on the other side into telehealth, uh, pet telehealth is becoming really increasing, very popular, especially during the pandemic when you can't walk into a veterinary office. So um, being able to integrate pet insurance into telehealth kind of services, too, is another area that we're starting to see a little bit of traction. Yeah, and there's a great stat I heard, which anybody can go and prove by just Googling, that pet insurance is, is more expensive than a lot of auto or motor insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, uh, and as you said, lots of sort of emotional reasons why people do that. So definitely one to watch. And then going again back to five, seven years ago, blockchain was a big buzzword then. Clearly, that's still important and distributed ledger for crypto, although we could have a whole separate discussion about what's happened to crypto. As you look at the companies, and I'd be interested both in insurance, actually outside of insurance, you're tracking. What, what trends are you seeing around blockchain or distributed ledgers more broadly in terms of where they're actually underpinning technology or maybe even driving some adoption? Five years ago, like you said, blockchain was kind of a buzzword, but now we're really starting to see real use cases for the technology uh, so for example, one example within insurance is, uh, double dipping claims where, uh, someone files a claim with multiple insurers. So like, let's say for instance, uh, someone got in a car accident and they file claims with, uh, two insurance companies, one with their auto insurer and another with their health insurer. Right. And so that's a pretty big issue in, in the industry. And so a company like claims share, they, uh, combat double dipping by using distributed ledger which is shared among all the insurers, which allows public claims data to be shared in real time and in an immutable way. So you can see that once a claim is made, it's recorded on the blockchain. And so if another claim comes through for that same incident, it's detected and denied. So that's just like a, an example of how blockchain is being used today. Yeah, good. No, I think it's I mean, a number of felt it was a Definitely a technology that had applications, but the other applications needs to catch up with blockchain. It wasn't of itself going to drive demand. And I think that's a good example that you just referred to. And, and then we can't go on without referring to what's been happening in the public markets with the IPOs and the, the SPACs or the special purpose acquisition companies. You know, most people will be aware that these companies that went onto the markets and now I think about every case of trading below what their offering price was. What, what's your reflection on that as you look at the sort of valuations they went in at, they went up to, and where they are now relative to the other companies you're you're seeing in your portfolio? I guess, and then the second kind of question is, to the extent you're kind of aware of this, what does that mean for the market sentiment generally in terms of how people are looking at valuations for companies that haven't yet? The IPOs and the SPACs that we've seen recently, really, this is like the first wave in shirt to companies that have gone public, right? And if you look at the commonalities, they're really – are um, insure tech companies that are selling risk products, right? And what is happening is in the markets, when in the private markets, when they have this huge valuation run up and how investors are viewing them, investors are viewing them as tech companies. But then when they're in the public markets, they're increasingly increasingly being viewed as insurance companies. And you can see um, tech companies and insurance companies trade at very different multiples. 
right? So, um, you know, just a quick example, traditional carriers were now trading at an enterprise value of about one and a half times net premiums earned. While Hippo and Lemonade, for example, they're trading at well over 10x. And so, you know, these companies as insurance companies, they're going to see that that valuation pressure downwards towards their um, peers in the insurance space. Another area that I think investors are not very happy about is that their loss ratios are still pretty high um, across all these carriers, right? Root, Lemonade, Hippo, um, Oscar. And so I think just if you take a long-term view, I think some of these companies will be fine. They just have to take time to prove their underwriting models to get those loss ratios down. Now, a loss ratio for an insurer compares how much money a company brings in through premiums and how much it pays out in claims. So if a company has a loss ratio higher than, say, around 70%, it may start to be actually losing money because it also has to cover other fixed costs. The ratio of all income to all costs is the combined ratio. And when that goes above 100%, insurers are definitely losing money. Most insurtechs who have gone public recently have combined ratios higher than 100%. So if you take a long-term view, I think they could be okay. But, you know, public market investors are, are pretty impatient and they want to see those loss ratios down to, you know, example, 70% for PNC and sure tech companies today. And I think that's just going to take some time for that to happen. Um, now, what I think is going to happen is that the next wave of insure tech companies that will go public will be the actual software SaaS type companies that are selling technology and software to insurance carriers. And I think that's where um, we'll, we will still see some IPOs and SPACs occur, but it, it will be more in, in that bucket, the enablers of um, the providers rather than the ones that are selling risk. That's really helpful context. And you know, one of the views I'd heard is these companies went to market a little bit early, but I, I guess it does have an implication for investors because it's going to be harder to go public because the markets aren't looking at them very favorably. Do you think that's going to impact the investment appetite if there's a yeah a, a challenge of getting companies onto IPOs or I mean they do have other choices through strategic acquisitions or the other ways of releasing value but are you, are you seeing anything that would suggest that's going to have some downward pressure on an investment coming into some of the earlier stage companies looking yeah I, I think outside of um, cyber and and pet and maybe some of the newer specialty lines of insurance I think those selling you know general uh, like property uh, auto insurance um, health insurance those can be a little bit more challenging for them to find uh, an, an exit if they're VC backed. Um, I think that because, you know, the public markets right now are showing that they don't really have an appetite for high valuations for those companies. Like I mentioned earlier, I think that the, the enablers will still be able to, cause they have a completely business, different business model. They're selling, um, software to uh, traditional carriers. And so they could still see multiples similar to, um, other, um, SaaS and software providers in the financial services space. So I think there's still a healthy appetite for those providers. There will be some SPACs and IPOs among that group of insure tech companies. And there are also increasingly very attractive acquisition targets for carriers, right? Carriers want that technology. They have learned over the last five years that building technology and software internally is very difficult. And they just don't have the expertise to do that as well as a lot of the startups in the tech space or insure tech space. So they're going to be looking at um, a little bit of the compressed valuation, and they're going to look at opportunities to buy some of these technology assets. 
Yeah, and we're seeing that all the time. I mean, most recently, as we're talking now, Trove was acquired mm-hmm. by Travellers. And then I just want to come on to the third area I know that you're, you're finding intriguing, which is to do with your combination of platforms and accessing alternative forms of capital in the market. So it'd be interesting to just to hear what you're seeing in that space and any companies you would point out as being good examples of what's happening there. Oh, yeah. There are a few insure tech companies that are developing new ways to assess risk and uh, securitize risk. These are insurance-linked securities, right, or ILS. Um, it allows insurers to sell their risk to the capital markets rather than a, a traditional insurer. And, you know, um, carriers do this because they'll help them increase capacity. And, you know, there are a few companies that are doing interesting things. I'm pretty excited about a company called Kettle. Um, they provide a platform to underwrite risk related to climate change. So they use uh, deep learning and neural networks to really uh, scan a carrier's portfolio and understand the real risk related to wildfires. And um, they can say, hey, you know what? These basket of, of homes that you have underwritten are actually not that risky to wildfires, but then they're paying really high premiums. We're going to re-rate that portion of homes because we we think it's mispriced. And what they do is they re-rate it and they'll buy that risk and then they'll sell that to the capital markets. And then they can look at another basket of homes and say, you know what? These homes we think is highly risky and they're not paying enough premiums. We're going to re-risk that home as well or we won't buy that risk. So they're able to really look at different baskets of homes or, or, or commercial property in uh, uh, insurance portfolio and tranche those risks and sell it into the capital markets with different return profiles. So it's very similar to you can think of an asset-backed security where it gets tranche and different um, returns based on the credit profiles. And this is a similar for uh, um, the risk profile for a basket of homes. Uh, so Kettle is really cool. I think they're an interesting one. Another company is uh, Tremor. They are a little bit different from Kettle in that they operate a marketplace model. So they connect uh, those that are selling risk to those that are looking to buy risk. And that's it. They just create a, a platform. Um, so different from Kettle in that they don't price anything. They just let the market make those determinations. Yeah, I mean, two really interesting companies and themes. I mean, for those, I mean, those that aren't aware, the insurance-linked security market or IS market has been going about 25 years now. It's about $100 billion mm-hmm. of assets under management for, or bonds that have been issued in that space. But it's, it's quite well established. But the intriguing question, I know for a lot of people building these platforms, is how do they tap into new forms of capital? I think the second thing, we talk about kettle and wildfire risk. You, the traditional catastrophe model has tended to have been looking at the traditional catastrophes, frankly, for hurricane, earthquake, a bit of flood. Wildfire has really only come to prominence in the last 10 years at scale. It's always been there. So that does offer an opportunity for companies like Kettle. I'd also call out Zesty, who are looking at wildfire risk, because in a sense, again, it's back to this level playing field or even advantage coming at it from scratch, which is that if they can find the, the right analytics and have confidence in those, and in Kettle's case, demonstrating confidence because they're actually putting money behind it or, or convincing others to, it's a very clever way to get into the marketplace. And I think Tremor has been interesting. I mean, I think it's still fairly early days in terms of scale through the platform, but it just takes time to convince brokers and insurers to do things differently. So watch that space in terms of the momentum picking up on that. But it's good to see those those ones you've picked up. So, Robert, as we get to the end of the discussion here, I guess we're delighted to be working with you in partnership. We're going to be using some of your data, and thank you for that, in our reports so that we've, you know, we've, we take the benefit of your thousand analysts and uh, share it with our community. 
in specifically with insurance companies, can you talk a little bit about how insurers are using your data? We talked some more generally earlier on, but are there some examples you can use about how, and you don't have to mention names, but how an insurance company might be using pitch book data? Yeah, um, various different ways. So we, we have a lot of insurers who are investing in this space, right? So they have either from the corporate de- development teams or through the CDC arms, they are looking at, you know, uh, different insure tech companies, uh, what their valuations are, how much capital they've raised, uh, who the teams are. Um, so they're really using it to invest. Uh, we also have a lot of insure tech companies who use the platform uh, who are looking to raise capital. So they're looking for investors as well. Um, they're looking at their peer comp set to see what the valuations look like. They're looking at what deal sizes are looking like for um, the stage that they're looking to raise around. So um, yeah, many different use cases. Um, and then, uh, they also look at the research and the analyst team. Not only do they read the research to understand the space better, but um, they're speaking to our analyst team as well. Um, you know, I, I'm speaking to insurtech companies, uh, carriers, and reinsurers in the space every single week, and um, just knowledge sharing to really understand, uh, get a better grasp on what's going on in the market. Well, it's great. I mean, just even now to, to share some ideas with you because we're 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 doing the same mm-hmm. and. I say for anybody listening who's interested in learning more about PitchBook, I mean, in return for getting access to your data, we've also agreed to look out for some opportunities for you in the insurance markets. So we're delighted to make the connection there for anybody that wants to know more about PitchBook. And I guess that on that one specifically, Robert, for people that have borne with us all the way through this, uh, we better tell them what gift we're going to give them for making it through to the end. So can I pass that one back to you to tell people what they can look out for to learn a bit more about Fishbook and actually get some good insights from that as well? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, we've recently published um, the annual InsurTech report, which covers the entire vertical at length. So the audience can um, access the report and, um, you know, really see not just all the areas that we discussed today on the podcast, but a bunch of different areas that we haven't discussed and kind of our viewpoints and some of the startups um, in those space and some of the interesting things that they're building. Yeah, no, thank you. So we'll put it in the episode notes and yeah, anybody that can't find it, we will certainly happily send that link on to them if they contact myself, Matthew Grant via LinkedIn or, or hello at instec.london, which will get to any one of us. So Robert, that has been really interesting to get your perspective on things, learn a lot myself and I look forward to, you know, benefiting more from all the great work you're doing at PitchBook. And yeah, as you go through that, if there's any companies you'd like to talk to us about, I mean, we're talking to people every day ourselves. We've got 150 companies that we're working with closely to understand what they're doing. And we're talking to both insurers and technology companies. So we also kind of get both both sides of the coin uh, and, and the benefit of using things like these podcasts to actually talk to people as well, which sort of doubles up the, the efficiency use of time. So very happy to sh- share with you on that. And I'm sure there'll be people on the call who would, also love to talk to you. So uh, I think unless there's anything else, I uh, will let you get on with the, the rest of your Friday and hopefully at some point we'll see each other yeah, face to face. Thank you, Matthew. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Well, I definitely recommend taking a look at PitchBook. You can find that link in the episode notes or contact me, Matthew Grant, on LinkedIn. And if you're wondering why you're missing out, if you're not already one of our Instep members around the world, then please do also get in touch to me or directly to any of us, hello at instec.london. That's it for now. Don't forget, we are live on stage and our next report coming soon. So register now for that to get your low price.